Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 98, Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together to talk about teaching, teaching English in Japan, and all the fun that can entail. And um, today, um, we're talking about uh, what we try to teach besides English, uh, and what we try to teach um, intentionally. Um, not, you know, not on the side, and that's maybe going to be a future topic. Um, but it is, what is it that we try to, again, again not what we teach, but what we try to teach <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> to our students, uh, that, you know, besides the, the basic linguistic, you know, English skills and things, there's, I mean, a whole bunch of other things. And um, we're going to try and parse that out and see what it is that, you know, we're thinking about when we, when we do that. Well, we're talking about the things that a lot of people would say are not attached to language learning. And some teachers who would actually say that's not even in our purview. I know people mm. who would say that. We've met those kinds of people. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've met them before, but not anymore. Mm. Well, what's, let's start, Tony. So what's, So we're talking about things we consider to be important, uh, as not just for language learning, but I guess in life as college students and part of this intellectual journey that our students are on. So what's an example of something you teach that you think doesn't fall under the traditional heading of EFL? Well, th this should be an easy one for me because whenever I ask, so what, you know, what do you teach? I answer students. Actually, I don't remember to say that. I always forget to say that, but I think it's a great answer. <laughs> And it really speaks to what we're talking about, like that divide, right? About okay, teaching English versus teaching students, right? And um, as, as an example, just to start off, um, one of the the big ones that um, that I know that I that I prioritize is um, you know besides English, of course, uh, cultural literacy, and uh, that is that does have a very strong connection to language foreign language with first language and second language <clears throat> but it's, it's such a it's such a rich field that um i can't help myself <laughs> um and i think it'll be, become obvious in our discussion it's just separating language and thought is something that i'm finding very uh increasingly difficult to do but for example the idea of um our english word hypocrite um, which in our culture um, is a much more loaded, much more negative uh, nuance than I think most students would pick up from a dictionary definition because, of course, in Japan, um, that, uh, you know, the tatemai and honet um, are just kind of assumed, right? Could you explain um, what those are for people who might not be in Japan? You know, the tatamai is like when you, it is the reality of having an outside appearance. Um, you say what you say or you act the way that you act um, in order to avoid any kind of conflict, whether you believe it or not. It's a, you know, it's a social lubricant and you smile and say, okay, even though your inner feelings are completely the opposite. And hone is when you, uh, with somebody that's you know sufficiently close to you and in the right context um you actually say what you really think or what you really feel um that saying what you really think what you really feel is you know for us a western value that um is just should be there all the time and someone who doesn't do that is it's a very negative aspersion right yeah you are you're a hypocrite you're you're, you're not you're you're a liar you're being false um though that, that's one example um, or, for example, the way that um, the relationship between the employer and the employee uh, in the two different cultures affect the way that we talk about it, right? Um, I work for Toyota. I work for Ford. Um, Japanese ask somebody about their job. It's like, boku wa Mitsubishi desu, um, which translates to, the wrong, the wrong trans, the literal translation is, I am Mitsubishi. Right. And that that's not what they mean. I mean, it's a, it, the why is it's a topic marker, not a, not a subject marker, but um, the grammar is there. And like, for example, the other example is like in Japan, the the word for different and the word for wrong are the same. <laughs> Being different is wrong. Chigao, <laughs> not. 
<laughs> in the same sense that, uh, yes, there's a whole lot of words that don't work that way from Japanese right, into right. English. Right, right. So that whole idea, cultural literacy, and um, you know, formality and informality, and what it means in those cultures and things like that. So um, I do that because I have like, a couple of inter specific international uh, international communication type classes. I also teach a large number of students uh, at one university who are, you know, they're English classes, but all of them are foreign language majors. They're all learning English and other languages, and they're all going to be traveling at some point in their future to foreign countries. Um, and so I make that a big point, especially with those classes, to get that point across. But it also factors into regular English classes, too, because you can't speak foreign language without also being fluent in that that other culture as well yeah that almost falls under the category of pragmatics in many ways so i would assume there's a lot of people doing that but how would you teach something like that i mean you know i mean you, you explain hit you know something how do you teach it though mm, just a lot of demonstration you know context put up a you know create a situation um, you know, presented in English, but in Japanese, okay, what are the differences, what are the nuances? It's a, it's a bit of lecture. If uh, uh, I, it's a small enough class or it's an adept enough class, maybe do a bit of role play with some of them. Mm. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, as neat, you know, as needs by case, by case, right? It's just like if you need it, if it comes up, it's there. Okay. That's an important you, point. Me? I'm going to kind of move something that's very much connected to it, and I'm famously famous for this, is uh, manners. Good, good, good. Yeah, you yeah, are. I really am on my students all the time for manners. You know, the use of thank you, you're welcome, excuse me, here you are, uh, all those things, because I, I don't even have to argue this point, but the coming across as polite to at least our generation or people who are older is incredibly important. And a lot of young students don't know that. And they don't understand that it needs to be done in all situations. And a lot of that is because of, I think, the hierarchical relationships in Japan, right? There's a lot of people that don't need to be said thank you to because that's what they're supposed to be doing. And there's mm. a whole concept of who is higher in the hierarchy, are people the same level? So for example, I've watched my students uh, in their club activities, club meetings, and they go into, you know, uh, in Japanese it's called keigo, that full-scale formal language that you use with people who are like honorable above you. And I've seen my students use that to their seniors in the club. And then they come into my class and I can hand them a piece of paper and they don't even know to say thank you. Mm. So part of the manners thing is trying to explain to them that there are, the way they understand context is very different from the way it actually exists in the real world and that missing a thank you is not okay. Mm. Not saying please or excuse me is not okay and it doesn't really matter if you're talking to the company president or you're talking to a cashier at a convenience store, mm. those things are required. Those things are important. So I definitely go after my students on that. Uh, and the most, one of the most important things also, especially since I do a lot of group work, is drilling them and drilling them with, thank you, nice talking with you, or thank you, nice working with you, and that you have to say this before you stand up until it becomes almost automatic. But warning to anybody who wants to teach manners to their students, it's <laughs> it's an endless task. It takes yeah. half the semester before you'll get almost 100% compliance. But Yeah, I, I hear your stories, and, and I admire your persist, your perseverance. Um, yeah, I can, I can imagine. But it's uh, sometimes I think it's the most important thing I can teach them, some I mean, there's three or four other things, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, teaching them that, you know, if you go up to somebody and you say in bad English, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, that then the other person will be much more patient with them. I've had people walk up to me and say, where is the, the bus station or where is the, um, the taxi stand? And you're like, what? You have to say, you know, excuse me. But that's maybe me. I, I think 
that that's important. But manners are, I think, part of that cultural literacy. Exactly. I was, I was just going to make that point. That's exactly the type of things where it's done a certain way in one culture, it's done a different way in the other culture. You can't just learn the words and the grammar. You've got to learn how to use those and how to, you know, it's a whole a set of behaviors. Then, and of course, manners being, you know, one big, big, big important part of that and how different manners are from one culture to another. Right. And for the for our Japanese students, just that it's not just used in your job interview and it's not just used with the person who's above you. You have to explain that it's expected across the board. When you right. get out of the taxi, you do say thank you to the driver. Get out of the Uber, you say thank you to the driver. So, Right, because like in English-speaking cultures, again, England a little bit less so, but the the culture across the the, the major English speaking countries, um, that whole notion of rank is non-existent. You know, the the assumption is, or the the one of my favorite terms of polite fiction, is that we're all equal. Right. And you know, and I point out, you know, in English we don't have real words for senpai or kohai, which is roughly someone's superior or someone's. Lesser, <laughs> lesser. Yeah, you're... we don't have, we don't have a word for it, right? And um, you know, so for example, the different words for older brother and older sister, we just we don't. We have their brother sister. Do we have to use the adjective, older or younger? We don't have. I had a student actually asked me that question. To, so Anne, how do what's which Anne? I go sister. What? <laughs> That's it. That's it. We, um, it's all it's all one, right? And right. Uh, how that affects manners and things. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's what I do. And now I'll just jump to something that it, it's really a stretch on how it's connected, but it's kind of connected in the sense of students not being able to grasp a general idea. So for them to be able to understand that manners is an across the board thing, manners apply to everybody, regardless of rank and getting them to change that understanding is difficult. The other thing that's, I think, really, really important, and um, every teacher will tell you about the difficulty this is getting with mistakes are okay. <laughs> mm, big one. Big one, big, big one, one. Big one. Big one. So how do you deal with that? I have a whole shtick that I do on the, the first day uh, of class where I talk about, um, uh, I have a whole little chicken thing. I've got like a little... You know, like the little forbidden sign, little no, like no smoking sign. Well, I've got like a, a no chicken sign. That's I've got great. A whole... That's great. You actually made a no chicken sign. <laughs> I made a no chicken sign. I put it on the board and I wait oh, you for, for them to, to someone to ask. Could you send that to me? Sure. That's sure, great. Sure. I, I should just put that on like every web page <laughs> that I have <laughs> in my classes. And I put it up and some kids laugh. But, you know, of course, they never ask about it. And I says, well, is, isn't anybody asked about the chickens? And I explained the, the you know the the expression in English about you chicken, and I got you know the two boys who's you know on the top of the hill. They want they want to disconnect their one of them wants to disconnect the brakes and go down the hill. It's like oh no, you're a chicken, and they get to I mean the worst. I said okay, but why chicken? I was like okay, so then I act out a little scene where there's a a farmhouse and a yard with the dog sleeping, dreaming about rabbits, and the chickens in the yard, and sorry ladies, uh, sexual stereotype, the farmer's wife in the in the in the uh, farmhouse and it's okay it's time to do the chickens and she will goes out in the yard and the, the chickens go crazy at this point i do my best chicken imitation oh, this is something really i loud. have to see this is and <laughs> and everyone like jumps out of their chair and they start laughing and i says well listen okay the chickens it's like every day it's the same little farmyard it's the same farmhouse door it's the same farmhouse wife coming out with the same chicken food and every time she opens the door all the chickens panic. That's why we call people chicken because uh, they're afraid for no reason. And then I say, well, you know, I have to defend the chicken because, as, as we all know, the chickens we already demonstrated. I've they've been poking at rocks and things instead of the corn. And I says, oh, they're not very smart, and especially modern chickens, um, they're they can't they can't escape right. They're they're never going to get off the ground. They're bigger. They're bigger than I am. And I gestured to my big old belly. And I says, they can't fly. They got these silly little legs. They can't escape. And as we know, they're quite delicious. And I get a little rise out of the kids. And it's like, okay, but you don't have those excuses. <clears throat> I says, you're in, you got into this university, so you're very, very intelligent. <coughs> um, uh, you've got young, strong legs. I'm never going to be able to catch you. And I guarantee you guys don't look that delicious. 
Um, and so anyway, that, that, that chicken thing, and it's part of the whole thing about not being afraid to ask questions, not being afraid to stop me when you don't know something. Admitting in this class, I don't know is a good answer. Um, and it goes through the whole thing. I want you to make mistakes every class. And I said, well, we, they think I'm, you know, I said, what do you think? I'm a crazy teacher. Uh, no, it's okay. Why do we make mistakes? We make mistakes when we try something for the first time. Right. You guys are uh, living, a lot of you are in, you know, living alone for the first time. How how is those first experiences in the, in the kitchen working out for you? <laughs> Delicious, um, whatever you know. Housekeeping mistakes, laundry mistakes. Anytime you try something new, you're gonna make mistakes. You make mistakes when you try your hardest. And I do a, a baseball player in right field running into the wall. Um, it says, I want you to do that in English. I want you to try new things. I want you to try as hard as you can. I want to hear mistakes every week because that's how we make mistakes. I go through the whole thing. It's never just one person. If it, you don't know it, there's 10 other people who don't know it. This is, this is what we're here for. Um, you know, I hear stories from teachers. I hear stories from students. Uh, teachers getting angry because students don't know something and make a mistake. I said, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you're supposed to, why, why do we go to school? You go to school because you don't know something. I don't expect you to know everything, blah, blah. So I got my whole shtick there on the first day. So I drill that, drill that into him. But you know, and then you know, bring it up from time to time. But that's how I do it. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think I'm, I don't think I have this image in my head of a student answering a question and then running into the wall in my classroom. <laughs> yeah, I do um, that whole thing about mistakes. I use a little slightly different example, which is like skiing or snowboarding. Okay. And I just say, if you're not falling off your your snowboard, or if you're not falling while you ski then you're not going up to a different level. You're staying on a, on a level that you know. And I said, as soon as you move up to the next level, you start falling. So the same idea. Good, good, and, good analogy. Pardon me? Good so, analogy. Yeah, yeah, and it works okay. And they kind of get that, um, but that doesn't move them into being willing to make mistakes. But try to explain. You know, show them that mistakes are okay, that that's how they're learning. Very similar to what you do. Uh, still always have trouble g getting them to change because that's been drilled into them for so long. Oh, yes. yes. It's it's an integral part. And, and, and you know, the bane of our existence, the, of the educational system here. Yeah. So, as I said, the last thing you want to do is to take your new university, your first class. Uh, the worst thing you can possibly do is make a mistake. <laughs> right. And you try to... Exp explain to them that you know when it comes to running a train system i understand that mm. on an assembly line don't make a mistake or your brain surgery on somebody yeah i never thought about that one <laughs> <laughs> whoops <laughs> i knew i put that thing somewhere but it's a hard one to get them to do and part of it running into the next thing I wanted to talk about that's related to mistakes is that they're always trying to think, what does the teacher want? What answer does the teacher want? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right? And they're very connected. And that's also a very difficult one of trying to explain to them, you don't know what I want, because what <laughs> I want you to do is to make mistakes. What mm -hmm. I want you to do is to tell me your own opinion. So what we're talking about here are very deeply ingrained cultural attitudes. And I just want to segue a little bit into a little story, Tony, because this made it so Good. real to me. And it's easy for me to understand something intellectually, but not to really understand it on a deep level. So at my university, we get to teach seminars. So we have a seminar class, and it's usually a small class, three or four students. And I've started integrating my junior seminar. So students sign up for your seminar in their second, third year in the second semester and they participate and then they have you in a full seminar for their senior year. So I started putting my students together and I've watched really extroverted, involved students who are leaders in the class who will speak up constantly become literally silent when they're in, when they're the juniors they're the third-year students in the mm. seminar with the fourth-year students. And I've done this now for two years, and I'm integrating it and changing it a little more. And I keep saying to them, I need you to participate, I need you to participate, but I can actually see the students having a visceral, I mean, a bodily reaction to not being able to speak up. 
that this is so ingrained in them that they're the third-year student and the fourth-year students are here, and they're not allowed to give opinions because they have to defer to the fourth-year students. Sure. And I mentioned that, that this is not just something you could just say to them and say, okay, I want you to change. This is <laughs> yeah, kind of right. like, I realized. Be different, okay? <laughs> right? I realized. I realized. This is like me going to the, you know, get climbing up on a 20-meter a diving board. And I have a fear of heights. And... You know, somebody just going, it's okay, just Don't relax. be afraid. Just jump. It's not a big deal. <laughs> don't be afraid, Charles. Yeah. Just don't be afraid. Right. It's real easy. Right. Just don't be afraid. <laughs> and don't mind that there's no water in the pool, okay? <laughs> but that realization that that's, they're feeling pretty much the same way I would feel on the diving board mm. is an important realization for me. So... Yeah, for what? teachers, you really have to like that, that. That's true. And so, so many cases is like a lot of things that to us, it's like, well, just just do it, right? It's like, no, there's no just. You're <laughs> there's a whole system of things that need to get tweaked and adjusted and bended and explained and stuff for the, for them to do that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So asking them to ask questions or right is really hard. So going through this thing of you don't know what I want, and you know asking them questions okay what do i want you to do today what do i want you to do in class what do i want and they constantly get the answers wrong and reviewing that until it kindly sinks kind of sinks into them that they don't understand what i want but these are difficult things sure and it does take a lot of time and always small group work or pair work and practice away from the teacher is really important so yeah, that's something I do. How about... Yeah, and remember, well, it's the same kind of thing, but also remember um, to always, throughout the semester, positive reinforcement when someone makes a mistake yes. or someone asks a question. Oh, it's yeah. Like, Great, thank you. you know, yeah. Make a big deal about it. Say, okay, yeah, this is... You asked a question, wonderful, you're a star. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly, yes, yes. <clears throat> I do that, I'll say, excuse me, what's your name again? And let's say the student says Hideaki, right? And I say, mm. Hideaki is the best student in this class. Thank mm. you, thank you, right? And there's a whole demonstration, yes, very much so. Mm. Okay, how about you? What you want to throw something else out that you do? Um, well, this is maybe most comes out as, a, as an intentional thing as part of like the, the plan. The plan with um, <laughs> with uh, reading classes. And um, any kind of research class, any of the classes can involve research. Um, but context, um, I um, in, a, in in a roundabout way to introducing them to, um, you know, doing research on the web and things, and also just you know, basic the act of reading, why reading is important. Um, context, and um, I will begin by you know, asking, you know, who knows uh, the name, you know, Johann Gutenberg. Um, and, you know, depending on which class, or which school it is, it, it, there's usually one or two that recognize the name. And I, you know, explain a little bit about, <clears throat> you know, books before and books after. Um, what happened after the, the Renaissance, <laughs> ba boom, right? You know, they changed the, the, you know, the Western world, the same kind of revolution, revolution going on, revolution going on in, in China the, before that. But, um, how the you know this one invention changed the world, and I say okay you know fast forward to um you know 1991, and uh, ARPANET and uh, people at the University of Illinois, uh, putting together the first web browser Mosaic, which was finished and released in 1993, uh, April 22nd, so just you know <laughs> a recent a recent uh, anniversary, and um, again boom how that changed the world that uh put a face on that um network and you know it, the it made the internet what we know it right with people for us it's for most people simul it's a uh, same meanings identical identical to the browser that you're using that the browser is the internet right and the first one mosaic uh and um how that changed everything and if you know we have the luxury of time i'll talk a little bit about what you know research for students was like pre-internet you know i remember library. that 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Library and the, uh, the file. Oh, let's talk catalog. about that. I always love that stuff. <laughs> As I explained, like, you know, when I we, when you want to look something up, this is what it meant. <laughs> you put your coat on, your shoes, you go down to the library, you go to the card catalog, you go up to the fourth floor, and you find out the book is checked out. You go back to the card catalog. Anyway, and on and on. Right, that's right. You had to go up to the stacks and yeah. find out that the book wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, man. So, and, and talk about that. And then I introduced him to Project Gutenberg, um, mm. which is a repository of 50,000, 60,000 uh, copyright-free texts that uh, international volunteer organization are scanning and putting online for everybody and, you know, show them. Say, okay, you want to read Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, just go here. And you've got HTML and you've got EPUB and you've got Kindle. So, yeah, you put it on whatever device you want and you've got it. A lot of them have audio as well. And I said, so this is... You can listen to someone read it to you as you read, and this is all free. And uh, so that's one that I always try to slip in with any class that I've got that this and any kind of research. But of course, a big, much heavier emphasis on any on, on the specific reading classes. Mm. Okay. By the way, I just want to go back to what you were talking about going to the library. And uh. do you remember? Um, so I was a lit major. I think you were a lit major also, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you remember that there'd be some question would be coming up. You'd read some novel or something, and you had to know something about that period of time. And it could have been anything from who was prime minister to what kind of music was being played. And we'd always go, does anybody know the answer to this question? And we'd go, no. And then somebody would say, okay, let's go find an art history major. They know everything. And I remember <laughs> we always needed to make sure that somebody in our group were always knew an art history major. because uh, Interesting, yeah. There was a time, it's hard to explain, especially to my daughter, that there was a time where on Saturday morning, if you asked each other a question, you had to wait until Monday to go to the library to be able to find the answer to that question. Mm. It's not automatic. But this kind of goes to something else I, I tell my students, and I always say this, I say, okay, who is the world's greatest teacher? And they all look around and you know they'll go, oh. Mr. Wiz. And I go, oh, come on. I told you, you don't know what I want. You don't know the answer I want. And then I tell them, Google. And I always teach them, don't ask me a question. Ask Google first. Google it. Google it. Google it. And that's something I'm really trying to teach them is that, you know, there's no reason for you not to know something. There's no reason for you to say, I couldn't do this or I don't know how to do it. It's Google it. And it's amazing to me how that still hasn't been driven home to them, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, Although this year, by the way, just, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, this year, my students are very different. I'm seeing a lot more tablets and laptops from students, and they seem more technically adept. Same here. But until here. this time, you know, ask getting saying to students, they'd say, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to download mm. this app. And you say, well, did you Google it? No. Okay. End of subject. Okay. Yeah. I, there's a big, very big variance from, you know, which, which university it is and things. But I've been seeing that, I've been experiencing that trend for a little bit at uh, different schools. But yeah, you're right. This year is much different. And um, I teach the same thing. Um, though not maybe not exactly the same way because so, so many of them have already looked and they they, they come up um, empty-handed and so again with any kind of cl any class that I've got that involves any kind of research uh, talk about uh, searching for information in, in, in a lot of detail and you and I have worked together you gave me some um, really good um, sites with um, you know search tips and shortcuts and, and things in Google so how to you search should send those back to me then. <laughs> <laughs> I got it here somewhere. In fact, I've got it for my classes. I just I was, I'm using a few of those right now in my classes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, how to how to find information? And you, know, you said Google it, Google it. And I want to I want to append something that um, Google it in English. A real big part of that searching for information is to use the English, the, the localized version. So I have students like, for example, if they're if you're doing a paper for your Italian class, use the Italian Google. You're going to get all much different results than if you're doing to the, the Google, uh, the Japanese Google site. The same thing with the UK. Hmm. Same thing with Canada. Same thing with the United States. Um, and then I show them the chart, and I says, "Yeah, Google it, but 
do look for the results in English. I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> I'm not trying to do, make you work harder. But look, how much of the internet, all the web, all the web pages, all the content that's out there, how much do you think is in Japanese? And how much do you think is in English? Yeah, you did give me something, and I've put that on my well, website. I've that's got a the, great, yeah, I've got the, I've got, I've, I've got the link on, on my my, pers- my my student webpage and things. They they can't they won't find it on their own. I mean, some might, but um, then I, I show it to them, right? And it's like, yeah, web content, fifty five percent is still in English. How and much is Japanese? That's like five. Yeah. Five <laughs> percent. So I says, you're all using the internet every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really useful, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I says, you you, you always look for it in Japanese. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, what you're seeing is five percent of what's out there, and that's and that's why English is important. <laughs> that's that's why we're here, <laughs> and that's why we're not, we're not here because I need to make a living. I mean, that's why I'm here, <laughs> but we're here because you need to learn English, and this is why English is important because giving you access to this information is power. That's a really good point, Tony. Right? That that way you're telling the students, you know, you don't have to be fluent. You might not think you have a need for English and you might not even want it, but one day you're going to want information about something either in your workplace, in your personal life, and now you able you're able to access that. You're able to find it. And that's a really that's it, information gonna, is power. Yeah, I'm going to use that. I didn't think about doing that. Right. Information is power. Did I ever tell you the story about this one student who I, I um, they sent me a file and the file name was all incorrect. And I said to the student and it was like, you know, one GB RJ, you know, one of those, you know, <laughs> gobbledygook kind of file names. And I said, I said, whose file is this? Because I had no way of identifying it. And the student uh. raises her hand. And there's about 35 students in the class. And I said, why did you rename the file? And the student said, I didn't know how to rename the file. I said, well, did you Google it? And the student says, yeah, but I couldn't find any results at all. And I said, excuse me? I said, you found zero results? And they said, yeah, there was nothing. I said, what What operating system are you using? Mac or Windows? And he goes, oh, I'm using Windows 10 or something. So I said, ah, oh, the student knows which Windows they're using, right? That's unusual. <laughs> <laughs> and in front of the whole class, yeah. I said, okay, let's take a look. And this, everyone in the class saw me bring up Google, and you could just hear, you know, the, uh, mm, the low-level mm, mm. giggling. Mm, mm. And, you know, we Googled rename file Windows 10 and something like 1.7 million hits. <laughs> I just looked at the student, and, uh, and I said, excuse me, you know? what's going on here and they were like sorry but, <laughs> yeah but you're so right that information's power that's a really good um way for me to explain to students who don't feel there's any reason to be in the english class thanks for that mm. thank good, you that's good. a good one okay how about and maybe uh, maybe i will put the, a link to that um to that chart in the in the notes huh? yeah do that because i yeah. you gave me that link and um i put it at the top of some of my classes before. I actually forgot to do it again. I should do that. Okay. I want to move to something else though, Go. which is explicitly and intentionally explaining to students what is the purpose of homework in my classes. Okay. Right. And I don't want to go into this whole thing about the flipped classroom, which I think is just an absurd way. Because again, lit majors, we look at the flipped classroom. Wait a second. So you're saying that the homework is to prepare for the next class. Well, that's just how classes are done. And the idea, again, is that it's hard to get your students used to the fact that the homework is preparation for the next class. There you go. Yeah. And really drilling them in. And to do that, what happens is you give the students homework, and then you put them into group work, and you say, okay, now take out your homework, because this is the basis of it. And half the students haven't done the homework. So you have to train them that they're using the homework to be ready to participate in the activities of the class. That's a very hard one because they're used to homework just being busy work and drilling and practicing. Right. That's a tough one. How do you get them to understand that concept? Um, I have them, sub- the, where, the one class where I give homework regularly. Uh, Which class is that, by the way? That is, uh, mm, it's a 
basically it's, a, it's an impossibly complicated four skills class okay integrated english and uh it's a very advanced students and they've got each week they've got a different topic and they've got to do uh, they have they have a study guide for each topic that I've made. Then they have to complete that. They need to do uh, their own research on the uh, find at least one related article and summarize it and analyze it, give their thoughts and so forth and so on. They have to send that to me by email. And uh, I have a very hard and fast. You've got to send it to me before the beginning of class. And I says, well, why am I doing I'm kind of being mean? No, it says the only reason that you, and I, over and over, the only reason that you're doing this is to prepare you to come to class and discuss it. It's to make your discussion more interesting. It's to make it easier for you to discuss it. And it's to make your discussion more beneficial for yourself and everybody else. That's the only reason. After the class is over, there's no point. I don't want to see it. It's supposed to be done before class. It, the only reason for this is preparation for the class, period. And they're bright enough to, I don't need to do any kind of lateral explanation of it. They get it. They get it. Mm. Yeah, it's a hard thing. Um, and that, you know, I see students doing the homework, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes before the class starts. And then I have to go through a whole explanation of mindfulness, right? Doing your homework oh, okay. mindfully. Uh, you know, I said, I don't give you homework to keep you busy. In fact, I don't even grade your homework. <laughs> tell them sometimes that they need to understand that they have to not be rushing, that they have to actually been thinking about it because that's what's going to make their discussions more interesting. And I try to explain you're being respectful to the other students in your class, in the class or in your group. So, the, you know, there's a difference between mindless homework and mindful homework. Mm. And I have to go through that a lot. But as long as we use the homework... That's an important thing to do. So I it's a frustrating thing because again, there are the students who just don't want to be in the class and are doing the minimal amount. And that's a whole yeah. different story on how to deal with that. But that's what we're going. But that ties also into note taking. Yeah, note taking. Good. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. I, Go, it wasn't on my list, but yeah, good. Why good, don't you good. run with Go. that then? No, no, you do. No, no why it don't was you? not in my notes. I, I, I forgot for my notes, so that's why. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so note-taking is... I've been watching my students, and I teach at one really exceptionally high-level school, and I'm teaching a graduate class there. And I watch these students. As soon as I write something on the board, there's no movement, there's no action picking up pens, but... If it's something new that I'm, for example, I can see that it's something they don't know, suddenly they're taking notes. And I started thinking about, you know, correl correlation is not causation, but causality and stuff. But okay, it seems that the top students are pretty good note takers. But yeah. then I started yeah. noticing they are not systematic. Hmm. So for note taking, especially for lower level students, and I teach at one school that's kind of low level, at least maybe the department, I don't know. And this year, for the first three, four classes, I've been really pushing them on note-taking. And that's what we've been doing is, you know, write it down, new word, write it down, review. And I'm seeing something happen. I'm seeing something change. And it's a matter that a lot of the students don't know how to take notes because the teacher has been giving them prints or handouts or textbooks the whole time. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what to write down. They don't know how to write it down. They don't know how to be systematic about it. And they don't know how to identify what's important. Mm. And the other thing is that you write, uh, you say a new word that you know that they've never heard before, and most students will not stop and write it down because they're used to getting list study lists again. And this goes back to how to study, how to be an independent student. So something like the Cornell note system is really good. Uh-huh. Um, the key I found is some systematic way to take notes. And what I do is I have my students just make quadrants, you know, turn, they have to buy an A4 notebook. They turn each page into four sections with lines. And one section is vocabulary. One section is grammar. Another section is information. And another section is homework and things to do. And I've shown them that, you know, okay, put this here, put this here, put this here. And after three weeks, they have a place where I say, okay, 
get ready, we're going to have a vocabulary test in 15 minutes, review your vocabulary. And they see that, oh, they can just go to the vocabulary section and everything's very organized for them. So the other thing is that letting them use notes for tests is rewarding them for taking good ah, notes also. I like that. I like yeah, that. so that's what I've been doing a lot recently is intentionally teaching them how to learn and the note taking is really important because this passive thing of you know um, the teacher passes out the or pr the printouts for their PowerPoint lectures, mm. the student doesn't have to take any notes at all, and we know that there's enough research out there that shows that active note taking increases retention, understanding, the ability to transfer learning, et cetera, et cetera. So been working on that a lot, very diligently the last year or two years now. What about yeah, yourself? That's a, it's, yeah, that's a very useful skill. Um, I, whenever I have uh, listening classes, um, I m take a class or two on note-taking. I found a pretty decent uh, YouTube um, video um, with a woman going through her, you know, you know almost OCD <laughs> process of taking notes. But it's, it's, I, I tell the kids in advance, like, listen, this is really over the top. You don't have to do all these things, but there's there's something here for all of us to learn, and we're gonna we're gonna watch this video twice at least, um, and I want you to watch it. And I want you to take notes. <laughs> and I want remember, you to take notes about the note taking video. <laughs> exactly. So remember what's going on because this 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 helps you with everything that you're doing, and it's not just my class; it's all your classes. Because you're right, so many of our students. Even though they're, you know, able to, you know, pass the test and get into the university, uh, really are, are lacking in just basic study skills, like note taking. Yes, <clears throat> and I tell them I don't care how you take notes, and it's amazing to me that they don't use their their phones for that. Some of them have figured out you can take pictures of the whiteboard, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that's a good thing. But I try to say, why don't you take out like you know your your phone and uh, use a note taking app. Because in so many classes, they can't. Right. They're forbidden to use their phones. <laughs> well, I, you know, by the way, so I did this the other day. I turned to my students on the first day of class, and I said, okay, um, everybody, take out your computers. And they all looked at me. And I said, okay, who has a computer? And only like three kids raised their hand. And I said, no, you all have computers. Take out your computers. And they're looking at me at this point like I'm totally crazy. And then I hold up my, my, my iPhone. And I say, it's a computer. And they go, oh. Yeah, <laughs> teachers who don't let students use their phones, I, I, mm. you know, I mean, I find that overall, most students will really be good about it. They won't be texting. You know, there's a couple who will, but most <clears throat> of the students are pretty good about... Most are, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think this, this remember when computers first came around and we were using them in class, and uh, this was at the place we used to work together. I remember that the one of the, the head people there who I was reporting to said, you can't let students use computers because then they'll just watch porn. And it's like, yeah, right. No projection there. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's I, all he used it for. <laughs> ooh. But it's that. What again, a leap. No, what a leap. I mean, just even that thought is like, these 17-year-old girls are going <laughs> to be watching porn in my Yeah, that's class. actually it's a really good point because I at that don't point, think so. At that point, it was an all, it was uh, it was a woman's school. It was an all girls school. An These were freshmen. They were seventeen or eighteen years old. There's a what? <laughs> good point there. I never thought about that. So, oh, but you know, getting them to take notes is really important. And then the other flip side of this, Tony, that I intentionally do is I teach them about reviewing and how to review. And we go through a whole process at the beginning of every class, group work three times, different groups, what, you know, reviewing and how to review, using your notes, putting your extra information together. So, you know, those are some of the things I really intentionally teach, you know, basic study skills, because we just assume that the students know how to do that. What they do know yeah. is they know how to memorize. Yeah. Right. And they know how to prep for a test but they don't necessarily know really how to learn in the way that we expect them to learn, given the teaching or the learning environments that we create. Mm. 
Okay. Anything? What else do you do that you just do? To, just to tack right uh, something sure. onto what you just said, like like how to how to how to review the notes and how to study. Um, something that just this year I kind of backed into. Um, I talked about uh, student uh, digital submission of their of their work. You know, they, they have to compile everything and put it, send it to me as a, a email of some kind. I don't I don't have very strict rules. <clears throat> But in training them how to do this correctly, you know, there's some critical parts and the, what address and what to put in the subject field and so, so forth and so on, uh, the study guide, what that involves and what the research, what they need to do with the research that they've done. Um, I read, again, kind of by mistake because I forgot it the first time, um, over the break, I don't know what I did over this break, I had a chance to read like four or five books. Um, one of them was, um, again, a reread of Making It Stick, whose author mm. escapes me at the moment. And uh, he just talked about um, how to review and things. And said, well, most as most people do, they look over their notes and they, they go over their notes. They look at the notes or they look at the highlighted parts of the textbook that they're using for whatever class it is. And we, you know, this is what we do. And you know, it turns out, turns out that that that's not really the most efficient way to study. The way the most efficient way to study is get a blank piece of paper and write it down what you think you know, and then you find out one, what you don't know, <laughs> but two, that the act of trying to retrieve that information, the, that act of remembering, actually, is the the best reinforcement mm -hmm. for the learning itself. And so I took that principle. <laughs> And uh, after I, you know, I did my initial training uh, of the students for this digital submission, I each they, they were in discussion. They were small discussion groups at this point of like four or five students each. I gave each group a blank, you know, like a form with, okay, where do you send this? What email address do you send this to? What do you put in the subject? <laughs> um, the study guide, what's involved in that? You got three pieces in there. And the research, what's involved? You got three spots there. Okay, what do you send me? You know, I said, this is a test. And they, of course, they go crazy because I think it's a test. And they all, you know, try to put it together. But then I, they says, okay, give them the answers. And then I provide them with um, the answer sheet, <laughs> on which is I, they already have in their hands. They, I gave it to them on the first day of what to submit and how to submit it. But they wanted the answer sheet to this little test that I gave. I said, okay, I'll put that for you. But had um, out of uh, 175, 180 students, usually I have with the first submission error rate of eh, maybe like, you know, 30 students, 40 students, probably less than 10. Mm. And some of those were not student issues. They were, you know, just, you know, hey, it's <laughs> technology. <laughs> Stuff happens, right? It's like, it's not your thing. Yeah. He's, he's showing me in class. He's got his computer there. It's like, okay, there's something wrong with the, your, your SMTP server. I had the same problem last week. I can sympathize because um, it's, it's like, okay, it's like I can send it from my phone, but I can't have my computer. It's like, well, that tells you something, doesn't it? What does it tell you? It's like, oh, so you're doing the right thing because you can do it on your phone. You're correct. There's some other technical issue here that that is not, that you're maybe not in, you know, nothing to do with what we're doing here. Um, but again, how to, how to prepare, how to, mm. how to go over your notes. How to study? It's like ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna incorporate that, you know, in uh, I'm gonna apply that a little bit of wider, a wider area, not just the submission thing, and 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 build that into it again. Uh, valuable for them, anything that you want, they want to learn, right? Other classes or in life, right? Mm. That's a good thing. Yeah, what I do with a little different on the review is they have to answer some questions. The questions are. What did we do in class? Then they have to talk with each other and agree on what were the most important ideas or the key points or the most important things that they learned. And then becomes the key question, which is how can you use those main ideas, those key points in your other classes or in your life? And they have to generate ideas and I check them on this. So for example, you know, if we teach them, you know, they say, okay, the key point is that you should let's say, uh, review every week. Then you ask them, okay, how can you use that in other classes? And so they'll say, oh, I should review my notes before going to class. Or I say, okay, how would you use that in business? And 
so they're having to really think about how to use it. And that also helps make it stick. And it's make it stick by Peter Brown, right? There we go. That's yeah, who it's. I always think it's making it stick. Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think that's that what I said, making it stick. Right. right? It's kind of like yeah, Darwin's it book. It's Origin of Species, not or the origin of species, not origin of the species, which I always confuse. But it's uh -huh. Make It Stick. It's a good book, by the way. And it's great because he goes through, it's highly recommended because it's so practical. And it's yep. really good about how our memory works. And you should always try to remember something just right before you forget it, <laughs> which is- There you go. Go figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, remember Paul Nation used to always say that. Uh, that's one thing Paul was very good about. You know, and we had we have. If you're interested in what pollination has to say about things, we do have an interview with him. But he would always talk about memory, and because he was doing vocabulary learning and how mm. to, you know, spaced yep. repetitions. And he was saying this years ago before I actually yep. heard about it from Make It Stick. Okay, so note taking, intentionally teaching them, trying to teach them how to learn. Um, something I do that is very intentional is to explain to them that we as teachers are not really able to prepare them for the future and we're not preparing them for a really unknown future and explaining to them that you know we don't know what's happening you know we can look at ai and robotics and climate change and wealth inequality we could look at a number of factors but what we're doing is we're basically teaching you on a model that's a cup as a hundred years old and trying to get them to say hey you know you need to think you know what do you need what is the most important thing for you to learn because i say what we're teaching you today how are you going to use it if you're competing with an ai that's more efficient or you know what if our lot our knowledge of the world changes so that's something I kind of drive home to them a lot. I don't know. Do you ever talk to them about that? Uh, a little bit, not not too much, um, because yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much that helps. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. So we're we're all just doing the best we can. Okay. Yeah. I got I got two more. I got, we're kind of running down here. Please but go I got, ahead. I got two more things. Um, one of the things that I do again with with uh, classes that uh, involve any kind of research is uh, documentation, and I explain to them is yeah this is this you know because again mostly I teach first year students. I says really this is important. <laughs> this is really important for you guys because we're doing it in English and you're going to submit you know, talk about plagiarism and dangers of plagiarism what what it is, um, how serious it is. Uh, talk about documentation and and the format, you know, whether you know, MLA or APA. And you know, again, I I give them the you know yeah I had to walk uphill to school both ways, back in the day, and uh, when I you know when I had to do it, I'll do this manually. And of course, there's a a really nice shortcut web page that does it for them. But um, I give them the basic prin principles and um, you know drill them on it and let them. Uh, try to put it in the correct format themselves before I give them the, the shortcut web page, but explain to them that, yeah, you're gonna if you're doing this in English, of course, but it's the same format if you're writing papers in Japanese or in Swahili or whatever other language that you're you're learning. Um, these skills, like we talked about, presentation skills, pretty much you know they kind of go across the board. So what you learn here, you're going to use in most of your classes from here on out. So this is time well spent. So we spent a lot of time on, on documentation. Mm. And uh, and I guess it, we're, yeah, we're kind, of, kind of winding down. One of the things that I do, um, f not for all classes, but for the ones that I think will we'll get it, I save it for the last day. Um, I have a, a, a Excel chart or whatever, a spreadsheet. Uh, that I put for them up on the web, or I, I give it to them in class, and I show them the difference um, between or among starting to save money from your first check when you graduate, or when you're 30 years old, or when you're 40 years old, or 50 years old, and you know if you're investing it, you know whatever percentage that I've got on there, four or five percent, the difference that's going to make by the time that you reach retirement age. And it's just like, you know, 
yeah, you're going to start off and your salary is not going to be high and you're going to need money for other things. It doesn't matter. Get into the habit of start saving your money from the very first paycheck that you get because it'll make a huge difference in your future. I says, I can tell you two things that are more important. It says, start saving money <laughs> with your first check and two, back up your data. <laughs> it's like, you have at least two extra copies of everything that you're doing, anything that's important to you, whether it's your wedding pictures, whether it's your senior thesis, whether it's next week's homework for me. It says, if it matters, get two more copies of it somewhere on a flash disk and in the cloud or on another computer. It has to be in the do. cloud. has to be in the cloud. One copy has says, to be in the cloud. It's like just have two more copies of it somewhere because if you just got one copy, you're, it's the same as having no copies. It's, it's just going to go. It's going to disappear someday and it's going to be gone. And I and I have a heartrending heartrending tale that I tell them about when I learned that myself back in the 1980s when nobody knew about computers and there was nobody to teach me, and when floppy disks were in fact floppy. That's and, really going a long ways away. And unreliable as hell, <laughs> as as I found out. Yes. So yeah, save you save your money and back up your data. Those are the last okay. two big lessons I got for my kids. Yeah, and the last thing that I do intentionally, and it's kind of totally off base here, but I want to make sure I, I do that, is I teaching the students how to give feedback to each other and the importance huh. of feedback good, and good. how it's how do you do that? Very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I go through a whole thing and we come to come up with an agreed upon definition of feedback. Hmm which is actionable information. Nice. And I demonstrate to them that, hey, your presentation was bad or your presentation was great. So, you know, you can't do anything. That's a judgment. And then I say, but somebody says, ah, your introduction didn't have a hook. I said, ah, that person can fix it. And then um, you give, I give them forms so they have to check each other and this is after we work on abstract and concrete language, which I've started to do in all my classes. So to explain to students the difference between it's cold, it's six degrees Celsius today, you did a good job, you covered all the points that were required on the teacher sheet, for example. Um, but they practice that and I try to demonstrate what happens if you don't give your friends or your peers honest feedback and then they bomb in a real life thing that they've asked you to help them with. For example, you know, they're preparing a presentation for their final presentation for a class and the student says, oh, that was great, thank you. And then the student fails the final presentation and you come back to your friend and you say, hey, hey, hey. hey what happened, man? You know, and they said, oh, I was just being polite. So, but once I, I've given them the definition and the demonstration of actionable information, uh huh. It really, really seems to, their lights seem to go on there. Uh, and nice. yeah, and telling them that the easiest way to give feedback is to give examples. Don't give explanations. Say, you did this, and I think if you were to do A, B, or C, it would improve. So they say, ah, you didn't have a hook, but if you were to tell a little story that would make your presentation more effective. Hmm. And so that's something, but it takes a while. But if you think along all the different things we're teaching, cultural awareness, note-taking, the pragmatics, the manners, um, all these things kind of all add up into something really valuable. And by the time you try to explain the feedback and you've laid the foundation with cultural differences, as you said, nuances, the whole idea of context, the differences that we don't have hierarchies, you're working with your friends, why are you here, what's the goal? It tends to kind of come together somewhat oh. for a lot of the students. But I like that. I like that. And I, got, I have a class that I can use that with this year, so I'm going to think on that. Okay. Well, maybe that's a good place to wrap up then. Yeah. Okay, I don't. I have a few more things, but I don't think I want to go through them. So yeah, I've got some things too. I, I, I what I really wanted to do is bring up the question of politics, but it's probably it's a good thing we didn't go there. But wait, 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 one. There is one more though. Okay. both of both of us both of us mentioned this before we were talking. Studying is not fun. Learning yes. is fun. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> I think that's just that's. Trying to explain that to my students. Now, my students get it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like nobody wants to study. That's not fun at all. But learning a new thing, wow, that's exciting. But we have to talk about this at some point because I, I do have students who seem to have never had the joy of finding something out, you know, the phantom. And yeah, the well, then then your then your job is cut out for you. Yes, right. That, well, <laughs> yeah, whereas for me, you know, learning some... We, but that's part of the problem as teachers, as educators. It's almost, yeah, it's either it's there or it's not, right? Boy, there was a big thump on my... My microphone. I was getting so excited on this topic. I just bumped my <laughs> microphone. But the idea that we as teachers, for us, learning's been a joyful thing. I it's guess a, so. It's and we forget selecting, right? Right. We're self-selecting, and we think the whole, you know, that wonderful <laughs> bias. That, you know, it's a rush, right? Right, and it's not necessarily a rush for everybody. Mm. But that's another interesting topic we should address: is how do we share that how do we transfer that how do we help people achieve that appreciation that joy oh it's another hard one but okay yeah, all right hard work well let's hard wrap it up ahead. now then yeah okay i'm charles Wiz. tony silva we're two teachers talking at two teachers talking at everything two teachers talking.com two teachers talking at gmail.com where else are we tony oh i don't know we're everywhere Okay. But we uh, we do uh, appreciate feedback. So, as we yes. were just talking about a little while. So, you know, we I don't think we need to train our audience on how to give feedback, or maybe we do. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I don't let us know how we're doing. Let okay. me get you actionable actionable advice. Right? Tell us. Tell. Give us some examples. What should we do? What should we not do? Help us out. Yeah. Tell us what make up what you want us to talk about. There you go. Make our lives easier. It's hard, yeah. it's hard coming up with new topics all the time. Yeah. Okay. All right, Tony. So you be well. Okay. You too. Bye.